This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. I, I, I can't believe how hard this guy works. I just did Fox and Friends. He does that. Then he comes on and does this show. It's briankilmeadeshow.com. The call in line is 866-408-7669. We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to answer questions and have a discussion. But uh, we got a good show because there's a lot of craziness that's happening. You know, if you like Washington, D.C., I don't. I'm I'm kind of tired of it. I served in Congress for eight and a half years, but time to move on in life. But there's always somebody doing something stupid in Congress, and we're going to talk about that today. And so I want to bring in first uh, David Spunt, and you can follow him at David Spunt, uh, a great uh, a Twitter handle there. Uh, David, thanks for joining us. What what do you see happening or not happening in Washington D.C.? Good to be with you today, Jason. Hope you're well, and happy early New Year to you and your family. Uh, well, the big news is on Capitol Hill uh, regarding these COVID relief payments. And the reason this is a big deal is because as I speak to you right now, some Americans woke up this morning and are looking at their bank accounts right now, and they're seeing $600 of COVID relief money uh, direct deposited. Uh, this happened overnight, announced by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. President Trump wants $2,000. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on the same page. Um, but yesterday, late yesterday, as you're well aware of, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, announced that there would be some new legislation that would include a $2,000 stimulus check. That's what the president wants, but it combines it with other priorities of the president, which is repealing Section 230 protection for big tech companies, uh, censoring conservative voices on Twitter. This is something the president has spoken out against. Also, a study, a bipartisan study of the integrity of the 2020 election. Democrats just want a straight up or down vote on those $2,000 uh, direct stimulus payments. So that is going to be coming to a head, Jason, in the next few days. Yeah, let's listen to Chuck Schumer of this cut one. Leader McConnell holds the key to unlocking this dilemma. The solution is a simple one. Put both bills up for a simple up or down vote and then let the chips fall where they may. Well, that's not the way the United States Senate works. That's Chuck Schumer knows that's the way the, the, the Senate just doesn't work like that. You'd have to get literally unanimous consent from everybody to pull something off. And even then, it probably wouldn't be able to pull off. It takes five days for things to germinate there in the Senate, the United States Senate. So what Mitch McConnell is doing is actually speeding up the process. Now, there are some conservatives like Ron Johnson and others that want to see something that's more targeted to folks that really need this type of, of relief. But, David, I want to get your response to Lindsey Graham because I think he was on Hannity last night. Here's what he had to say, and I want to get your reaction to it. A $2,000 payment uh, to people making under $75,000 is $400 billion uh, to the debt. But we live in unusual times. It's expensive. It's not the most efficient way to get aid to people who are suffering. But $600 is not enough. The president has dug in. He wants to vote on a $2,000 payment. 
I support that. And he wants to repeal Section 230 to keep big tech from running the country and censuring conservatives. I support both of those. And I think we're going to get a vote in the Senate if we control the Senate. If we lose Georgia, we're never going to get a vote on repealing Section 230. They're going to send another bill over that's going to make this bill look cheap. So if you want to control spending, make sure that the Republicans win the Senate. What are your, what's your reaction, David? Well, you know, Senator Graham is, is uh, one of those that's one of five Republican senators who have come on board right now for those $2,000 direct payments. The other, uh, Senator Josh Hawley, uh, David Perdue, Kelly Leffler, as we're talking about Georgia and what plays out over the next week, they're in lockstep with President Trump. Also, uh, Senator Rubio of Florida, they would need, meaning they, the senators, the Republicans would need 12 uh, total to to go on board with the $2,000 direct payments to reach that 60-vote threshold uh, to pass. So what Senator Graham is saying is, is not something that uh, could be unlikely. It just depends on if more senators are on board. You obviously were hosting Fox & Friends today. You spoke with Senator Johnson, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Um, he agreed that $600 is not enough, however, uh, said that he wants something more targeted, indicating he is not uh, in favor of that. So really what happens over the next few days is is going to be uh, fascinating how this plays out, not to mention uh, we have a new Congress that's coming in on Sunday to add on top of that. That's going to be at noon on Sunday. So uh, we're not going to know who, who who is going to win Georgia at that point. That's two days after. But a lot of things are going to play out on Sunday. That new Congress is going to come in. So that certainly shift the balance. Well, that's the concern is that the calendar does not play in favor of something that's going to be expedited in a quick manner, because even if the Senate was able to act uh, by the weekend, the 117th Congress starts uh, on on Sunday at noon. And the problem is they'd have to come up with a new bill uh, and have to vote again on all of this again. So when when Lindsey Graham is talking about the idea that, hey, um, you got to make sure that Republicans are elected uh, in Georgia, uh, he really does mean that because the likelihood is if you give Chuck Schumer that gavel, you're not going to see investigations into Hunter Biden and the things that Ron Johnson and the senator are working on. And you're going to see uh, a stimulus, if you will call it, from the Democrats that is far higher. And there's no way, Lindsey Graham argues, that Section 230, which is the uh, free pass that the social media companies use in order to do what they want to do in suppression of opinions on their websites. If you want to see reform on Section 230, the Democrats have shown no interest in doing that type of thing, David. Well, as you mentioned, the clock is running out, uh, not only on this Congress, but on this measure that Senator McConnell seems to favor tying uh, the $2,000 stimulus check, the repeal of Section 230, and studying the integrity of the election. The reason that time is not on the side of the Senate Majority Leader at this point is because uh, the House, as you know, voted uh, straight up or down to pass those $2,000 direct payments on Monday. Now that's coming over to the Senate. The Senate would, would need to pass it. If that passed it, then it would go to the president. The president would sign that. He's indicated he would sign that. However, 
Um, if Senator McConnell, Majority Leader McConnell's proposal tying these three things together is introduced today officially on the floor, which we expect that will happen, that would need to go back to the House. The House is out of session. So as you mentioned, the clock is certainly it's really not in favor for, for both sides as we get into these last waning days of the 116th Congress. No. And uh, but the need for this type of thing, let's listen to this montage of some Democrats and Republicans talking about the stimulus cut five. I don't want to hear it that it costs too much to help working families get a check when they're struggling. I'm delighted to support the president in this 2000. Uh, it's really a $1,400 increment over what we've already done. Do we turn our backs on struggling working families or do we respond to their pain? We're talking about sending checks, the vast majority of which will be going to people who've had no loss of income whatsoever. My Republican colleagues seem more interested in funding defense than in funding the defenseless. The best stimulus there is, is a job. No, it's a good point. We played that last night on the on the five. Um, and you can see why these things do need to be debated out. You know, I've pointed out multiple times before Nancy Pelosi, I think, owns this delay. I mean, she was very clear that there was no way she was going to allow any stimulus to go out um, before the election had concluded. There was no way she wanted Donald Trump and Republicans to have people, you know, take credit or or be able be responsible for people getting a check right before the election. I mean, that just wasn't going to happen, David. So she has a news conference today, actually, at 1045 in an hour and a half. So we'll see what she has to say. We we are predicting that she will talk about the fact that the House passed these $2,000 stimulus checks and the fact that the House uh, override the president's veto of the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, the Senate is looking to do that, actually. Uh, another place where Senator McConnell seems to be breaking with President Trump, he's he's anxious to override this veto to, to get this uh, money to the military. But the president um, at, at this point is, is sticking firm with his uh, veto of the National Defense Authorization Act. Lindsey Graham, you mentioned Senator Graham, he said he would not vote to override that veto. So that certainly is uh, splitting Republicans there. But a, a criticism of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, as you've said before, many Republicans is that uh, she she didn't have um, any willingness to to pass a deal before the election. She would say that that's not true. Democrats would say that's blatantly false. However, um, that has been something that uh, Senator Mnuchin and others have, have criticized her for for months. Yeah, no, she even said out loud that the, what, what, you know, when they asked her what made you change your mind, and part of it she said was, well, there's a new president. And and that's the sad reality of it, because there are people who desperately do need this help through no fault of their own. They've been put Absolutely. out of business. Their their business is falling apart. They don't have the income. They can't pay their rent. Um, and the sad reality is that Congress, you know, still has to be able to deal with this in order to appropriate it. But again, Sunday is the new Congress. Um, that's when the 117th Congress starts. And then you have January 6th. We have an important uh, vote and the certification of the election process. 
And then, of course, a new president sworn in on January 20th. And so a lot happening in rapid just succession. Just a few things coming up. Yeah, just, just <laughs> a few little things that are happening. David, thank you so much for joining us. I you wish bet. you and your everybody uh, uh, a happy new year. want to remind everybody the call-in line is 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Invite you to join us and participate. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The progressive movement itself probably is 35 or 40 percent of the Democratic coalition. Uh, and I believe that the progressive movement deserves seats uh, in the cabinet. That has not yet happened. As progressives, you know, we are still pushing to see more of us uh, as part of um, the transition team? The answer is we we need to, to shift power. We need to make sure that we have a transition of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party. That, of course, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Representative Ilan Omar, and uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, who's not even a member of the Democratic Party, by the way, but he... Uh, they're talking about this transition of power. And I got to tell you that coming up on January 3rd, we're going to see some interesting things because that's the vote for who's going to be the next Speaker of the House. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade today. We got a number I'd love for you to call in 866 408 7 Six six nine. That's eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We can, you can ask me anything. Well, I spent eight and a half years in Congress. Uh, throw any question you want about life in Congress, what's happening or not happening in D.C., whatever you'd like. Uh, would love to get after it. But I got to tell you, I, I want to highlight this because 
I think everybody has said that it's a foregone conclusion that Nancy Pelosi is going to be the next speaker, but I don't know that she's able to run the gauntlet. I, I really think she's going to have a difficult time making it uh, across the finish line. The way Congress works, the very first thing you do with the start of the next Congress is the very first vote is uh, is to swear you in or the very first action. And then per the Constitution, what they do is they everybody has to stand one at a time when they call your name and then you yell out. I mean, like you literally yell who you want to vote for uh, for Speaker of the House. Now, it's an interesting process because there's no hiding. There's no ducking it. Um, and you have to go on the record. I want to point out I, I tweeted this. I'm at Jason in the House. Um, if you want to go look at Twitter or Parler or Facebook, but Jason in the house, I retweeted this thing that Kevin McCarthy, now he's the minority leader for the Republicans. This is what he, he sent out yesterday. 15 Democrats voted against Nancy Pelosi for speaker last time. 10 of them are coming back. If those 10 Democrats vote against her, she will no longer be speaker of the house. So just... Who are those 10 people that didn't vote for her last time that might vote for her this time? Plus, you have new people, incoming people, some of which have already voiced uh, and expressed that they're not going to vote for her. Um, I think Nancy Pelosi has a very difficult time getting to, and it, it, we have to look this up, but I think 217 votes. Normally, it'd be 216 or, or 218, but you have two seats where the Republicans, one in Iowa, one in, in New York, where the Republican is ahead slightly. But Nancy Pelosi is not going to seat those people and allow them to vote against her. So we know that's going to happen later in January, not on, on January 3rd. And then you had this very unfortunate, sad, sad case uh, of the congressman-elect out of, out of um, Louisiana, Luke Letlow. Uh, he was the former chief of staff to Ralph Abram, um, and then he ran for Congress. He's 41 years old. He and his wife um, have two little kids, the cutest little kids you could ever imagine. And he just passed away after a fight with COVID-19. He contracted it just some 10 days ago. He was there in intensive care and evidently had a cardiac arrest event that he was not able to overcome. And our hearts and prayers go out to him and his family. Uh, but that seat will be in limbo for a long time, not to be just the crass politics of it, but it's so sad what happened to Luke Letlow. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Coming back to Nancy Pelosi's math problem, how does she get the requisite number of votes? And I've got to tell you, I think this is a bigger issue. I don't think they necessarily have it. And you have people like the, you know, AOCs of the world talking about how they need to make this transition in power. In fact, let's listen to cut 17. Well, you know, I do think that we need new leadership in the Democratic Party and I'm not ready. <laughs> it can't be me. I know that I couldn't do that job. And so even conservative uh, members of the party who think Nancy Pelosi is far too liberal for them don't necessarily have any viable alternatives, which is why whenever there's a challenge, it kind of collapses. Um, and that is, I think, the result of just many years of... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Power being concentrated in leadership with a lack of, you know, real grooming of a next generation of leadership. I, I totally agree that the next generation of leadership, they don't they don't have much of a bench at all. I, I, I mean, they have not groomed these people. And I got to tell you, it's it's going to be very, very difficult for them in order to get in to get through this process, uh, run the whole gambit. And uh, there are a lot of people that believe um, that Hakeem Jeffries out of New York is probably the next one. But if you look at that senior leadership table there. Literally, Nancy Pelosi is 80 years old. And then you've got, you know, Steny Hoyer and, um, you know, he's like nearly 80 years old, if not 80 years old. Uh, It is going to have a very, very difficult time. They just don't have the next generation of leadership that is going to be able to to take over. And so it'll be very interesting to see January 3rd is the day to watch that Sunday. There's going to be a lot more happening on the floor of the house of representatives. That's for sure. Stay with us. The Brian Kilmeade show will continue. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And my opponent, David Perdue has opposed direct relief this entire time. Well, what's happening in just a few days? An election. And Purdue's in trouble because Georgia voters are standing up in record numbers to remove him from office. So he's flipped his position at the very last minute. But he doesn't mean any of this. He's just another dime a dozen politician who will say whatever he has to say when an election arrives to try to win re-election. If he meant this, he'd be on the floor of the United States Senate demanding that Mitch McConnell put up the House bill, a clean $2,000 check authorization for an up or down vote. Well, that was a pretty aggressive John Ossoff, uh, who was on MSNBC this morning. Um, I don't know that I would totally agree (laughs) about his recognition or positions uh regarding senator david purdue now we have another purdue who's joining us he happens to be sonny purdue the he's a cousin i believe of of david purdue well he's the two-time former governor of georgia he's the united states secretary of agriculture uh secretary purdue thank you so much for joining us good morning uh jason i'm joining obviously as former governor and uh, a concerned Georgia citizen this morning, not my current capacity. Understood. Understood. All right. So as the former governor of Georgia and somebody who's just loves the state and understands the politics of Georgia, explain to us um, what's happening on the ground. I mean, we haven't quite seen a turnout like this. Hundreds of millions of dollars being thrown into it. Everything on the line. What's your read of the situation? Well, the clip you just played, Jason, is a Hollywood-made empty suit character actor that's here in Georgia running for the Senate seat. It's not Georgia values. They represent the radical left. He and Warnock both. And uh, that's not what Georgians are going to choose. Georgians are common-sense conservatives, and they'll continue to be uh, voting for David and Kelly in this runoff. 
Yeah, we had a vote already, and David Perdue, the current senator, um, had a really strong showing, but he also happened to have, I don't know, how many hundreds of other people on the ballot as well, and just was a few hairs shy of of getting the requisite 50% to avoid the runoff. Yes, we got a 50% plus one uh, rule in Georgia, and David uh, came within 7,000 votes of out of 5 million for winning the absolute majority. So he's already two points ahead of uh, Ossoff, even the same people come back out. And we believe that there are many people who may not have been able to vote for President Trump because of his style, the way he says things and uh, ignored the policies that he made. But they're not for this radical left agenda. They see Ossoff and Warnock for exactly who they are. Uh, they're mouthpieces made out of Hollywood uh, as actors that uh, are acting as Senate candidates. You know, right out of the shoots, as soon as it was clear that there was going to be a runoff, you had um, Chuck Schumer jumping up and down with glee because he said, first we take Georgia, then we take the country. Um, there's a lot on the line. Eh? I, I got to tell you, for those of us that don't live in Georgia, we're all watching this race. Well, the world is watching, absolutely. Not just the U.S., but this is for the soul of America, Jason. This uh, this race is right here. And Schumer's exactly right. Those are his own words, uh, in fact, AOC says we need these race, these two seats so we don't have to negotiate. That's not the way the American government works. The Senate has had a longstanding 60-vote uh, margin rule in order to make policy changes, and they want to eliminate that. We're concerned that if they win these two seats, Chuck Schumer becomes majority leader, in effect, and uh, they change the filibuster rule and pass whatever they want, yeah, including— so- including uh, adding states and packing the Supreme Court. Yeah, I got to tell you, I was bad enough in my time in the House of Representatives and Nancy Pelosi with a gavel, but I can't imagine with Chuck Schumer with a gavel at the same time. I, I, it's just untenable in, in my view. I hope, hope Georgians wake up to that. Um, interesting dynamic in Georgia. There were, in the presidential election, over 100,000 people voting as libertarians um, where do they go in this election? Do they stay home? Do they show up? Uh, do they go David Perdue's direction? How, what's your read on the on the true libertarians? Georgia, Georgia libertarians are, are typically physically conservative, and uh, while they may have other thoughts over social issues, they're physical conservatives that we believe lean probably uh, sixty to seventy percent toward the Republican side. So, if the libertarians come back out to vote, many of them may choose not to. But if they come back out to vote, we think David and uh, Kelly get uh, 60 to 70 percent of those votes. Now, uh, the president made a big deal. There's been a lot, at least, um, of conservatives talking about the concern about the integrity of the vote. In part, though, that's helped scare some people off. They think that the election's going to be stolen, that their vote won't count anyway, so why should I show up? Um, what are Georgians thinking right now, and, and what's the message to them about this election that happens on Tuesday? Well, there certainly was ample frustration after the November elections with alleged irregularities there. But that fever is somewhat past. I think most people understand uh, boycotting or not voting again is just letting them win. And so the people, the crowds that we see are fired up about coming back out to vote. Many of them have already early voted. They've got a couple more days to early vote today and tomorrow. And then they can vote by absentee if they chose and track that ballot to make sure it's counted. So uh, while people still have concerns about the integrity of voting process, 
there are going to be many more eyes on the poll watchers this time. Well, we've got a few high-profile people coming into the state. Uh, you have Kamala Harris coming in, then you have Joe Biden coming in, and then you have Donald Trump coming in Monday night. Uh, I want to get your reaction to that, but I want to f- hear first. Uh, let's listen to this clip, uh, Cut 10. Uh, this is uh, Senator Purdue talking about what's going on on the ground in Georgia. You know, I've been around the, the state uh, the last several weeks like nobody's ever done here. We have the largest ground game in history right here on the Republican side. We're winning on the ground. We've, we're making a 125-stop uh, bus tour right now. I think we're up to 86 from Hayhower to Hiawassee. I think tomorrow night we actually will get to our 100th uh, bus stop in Hayhower, or in, I'm sorry, uh, Hiawassee, Georgia, up in North Georgia. So we know what's at stake. We're the last line of defense here, Trey, and most people in Georgia are now beginning to realize that. I'm optimistic that we'll have a big turnout in the next two days, including uh, Election Day. Mr. Secretary, what uh, or former governor of Georgia, I should say, uh, Sonny Perdue, uh, who's joining us here, um, what what do you see and sense on the ground? Well, uh, I've been on the bus with David and Kelly uh, sometimes, and we're actually going in separate directions now, hitting places where they're not. And I see the same enthusiasm. I see the same excitement for regular Georgians out here. Kelly and David are out listening to their concerns and listening to their passion for a a Georgia that helps to uh, really stand in the stand in the breach for, for America. So their slogan is really not hyperbole. It's win Georgia and save America and be able to sustain the policies that President Trump has implemented over these last four years. Well, uh, John Ossoff, who's uh, the opponent trying to, to take out uh, uh, David Perdue, he was on MSNBC this morning. Let me, let me have you listen to cut seven here and get your reaction. The Republicans and our opponents are filing lawsuit after lawsuit to disenfranchise black voters in Georgia. Right as we speak, they've been trying to purge the rolls. They've been trying to remove ballot drop boxes. I'm running against a guy, David Perdue, who sees black Georgians as second-class citizens, and he's trying to rip away their voting rights as we speak. It's not getting the attention that it deserves. What's your reaction to that? Ball-faced lie. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, John Ossoff has proven he'll say and do anything in order to try to fool the people of Georgia into thinking he's qualified for the United States Senate. That's exactly what it is. There's this allegation of uh, uh, of racial discrimination is absolutely disgusting. Uh, knowing uh, David and I grew up together, we knew who, who we played with and we knew who we went to school with. And uh, it really offends me that he would say that about my cousin, whom I know well and known all of his life. Yeah, you know, one of the things they were doing along the way that the Republicans have have pointed out is that there were thousands of people, thousands of them, who had filed with the Postal Service saying, we've moved out of the state, we no longer live at this address, and then those people still now want to vote. And so to go to court to be able to say those people should be ineligible, you got to actually be a resident of Georgia to vote in this race, right? Absolutely, and every other state as well. Those are rules. But this is a group that Ossoff represents that believes illegal aliens ought to vote. If you can fog a mirror and come to the polling place, anybody who shows up ought to vote. That's not what our American ballot box is all about. This is uh, just these are policies that are shown. This isn't voter suppression. We've had more votes in this election than ever. Uh, and more African-American votes and more minority votes. So the the fallacy and the farceness of uh, voter suppression is just that. 
it's uh, it's false and it's a lie. I got one more topic, and you're being the two-time former governor of the state. I, I, I want to get your, your thoughts on this, and I, I probably put you in a tough spot as the current secretary of agriculture. I know you got your own personal hat on today. You're not as acting as the secretary right now, but the president just tweeted, at Brian Kemp, uh, Georgia, our GA, should resign from office. This is President Trump. He is an obstructionist who refuses to admit that we won Georgia. Big. Also won the other swing states. Um, is that helpful right now in the midst of the election with a few days? I mean, there is a difference between what a governor can do and what the secretary of state can do, correct? It is. President Trump obviously is very frustrated over uh, these irregularities that are, are, that are there. And uh, I understand his frustration. Obviously, you're correct, though. The governor, we have a constitutional officer, like most states do, the secretary of state, who is charged by Georgia law with overseeing and uh, and managing the integrity of elections. And many people are, are upset because they don't believe that uh, that has happened here in Georgia. Well, Sonny T- Purdue, it's very kind of you to take time away from uh, all your different duties, but you know Georgia as well as anybody. You have served her for a, a long time. We appreciate your service to the country, to the state of Georgia, and we appreciate you joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show today. Good to talk with you, Jason. Best wishes and Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year and Happy New Year to everybody else. We're going to try to get to your calls. The number 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Are you ready to say Pelosi and Schumer need to go? I mean, I I, I think so. I mean, and we... We need to to shift power. We need to make sure that we have a transition of power in the leadership of the Democratic Party. Wow. That's AOC talking about the future of Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. I'm at Jason in the House. Jason in the House on Twitter and Facebook and Parler and Instagram and everything else. Um fascinating though about the dynamics of what's going to happen on january 3rd not many people are talking about it but i got to tell you as i've said earlier in the hour i don't know that she's able to run the gambit and make things happen and be elected speaker yet again i think her road to victory um you have to get the majority and i don't know that she can get from here to there so i I think we have gene on the line from austin texas gene are you there Yes, I'm here. What's your, what's your question? Uh, why can't the Republicans, for one time, get together as an entire group, find one Democrat that's conservative-leaning, and vote and block for him with maybe eight more Democrats and make him Speaker of the House? Well, you know, th- there's a lot of truth to that, Gene, um, because how you get there is, is how you— Make that sausage and get to the to, to the uh, the majority could be very interesting there. You know, I can tell you, having been there, 
Nancy Pelosi, there's one reason, and I think it's the only reason that she continues to be the Speaker of the House, and that is she has raised more money than any other person in the history of the United States Congress. In the history of our nation, nobody's raised more money, Democrat, Republican, House, or Senate. And she just rules with an iron fist out there. Now, it's a little different on the Republican side. People like Kevin McCarthy. Um, but he doesn't rule with an iron fist. He don't beat you over the head if you don't vote with him every single time. Um, he, we give a little bit more autonomy. It's just sort of a philosophical difference. But there would be a lot of strength in being able to say, hey, let's find a more conservative-leaning person and we'll garner all of our 200-plus votes there on the Republican side. I just don't know that you have the old blue dog conservative Democrats that anybody would be excited about voting for. Is there somebody else you like? Um, I don't know who's, I don't know any Democrat that I consider conservative, but anybody that's farther to the right would be a big, a big improvement from Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I totally agree with Eugene there because um, almost anybody else is more palatable than Nancy Pelosi, but you don't have. You know, there were people like a Jim Matheson or a David Boren or 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 people like that that at least had a reputation of being more um, of somebody you could work with that you wouldn't agree with, you wouldn't vote for, um, but would be so much better than Nancy Pelosi. This is why if she's if she fails on these votes, and, and believe me, she is spending probably all of her time right now working on those cutting deals promising favors and assuring people that she won't run again. Oh, this is my last term. And she may, it may come to that. She may need to go to her caucus and actually say to them, you know what we need to do is I will only stay six months or I will only stay 12 months and then I'll step down and we can figure out who's going to be the next leader. She does not want to pass the baton to Steny Hoyer of, of Maryland. That history is one of the big mysteries out there, but everybody in Congress knows that Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi do not get along. She doesn't want to step down and allow him to to move a spot up. Um, and James Clyburn, uh, he's been there a long time. Joe Biden owes him a lot when that vote came to South Carolina, and Joe Biden was able was on the on the ropes, and he stepped up and helped. Uh, He's the number three person there in the House of Representatives for the Democrats. A lot of people don't think that he could ascend to that role. Um, This is the problem with the Democrats is they don't have a natural bench. They're not going to rally behind AOC. There's a lot of Democrats that think she's nuts and that she's, you know, too tall for her britches and and just does not want to uh, play well with others in the sandbox. But if you look at the numbers that Kevin McCarthy has laid out, you look at the people who have gone out and pledged, somebody's going to have to break a promise in order to get Nancy Pelosi where she wants to go. And the big question is, what price will Nancy Pelosi pay that person to make this whole thing happen? It is going to be high noon Eastern time on January 3rd. They'll swear the members in. They'll go through some other types of things, but then they have the vote on the Speaker of the House, and they will come in in waves. Normally, you all sit there together, and you're all together, and you literally watch one person at a time, and you're keeping score. They're going to do it in waves because of COVID-19. Democrats also have a host of people, and I don't have the exact number, but I've been told it's more than 10, that have not shown up since COVID-19 
But in order to be sworn in and to vote for speaker, you're going to have to be on the floor of the House of Representatives. So it will be high drama for those of us that uh, are watching so closely uh, what is going on and not going on in Washington, D.C. It'll be start of the 117th Congress, a historic one. Uh, A lot's going to change between now and January uh, 20th and there's a lot of important votes and maneuvers out there and I think we'll all be watching it closely because it is going to affect all of us. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. All right, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm I'm trying to live the life of Brian Kilmeade. I did it for three hours on Fox and Friends and doing it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show here on the, the radio. And uh, we want you to call in. Uh, 866-408-7669. That's 866-408-7669. There's a lot to talk about. There's lots happening in the world of politics. There's always somebody doing somebody doing something stupid somewhere. That's for sure. And uh, somebody who keeps an eye on these idiots and some of the craziness that's happening in Washington, D.C., I'm glad to have my friend, uh, somebody you've heard and seen uh, a lot along the way, uh, Charlie Hurt, who's joining us. He's a Fox News contributor. He's a communist for The Washington Times, and he's the author of Still Winning, Why America Went All In on Donald Trump and Why We Must Do It Again. Charlie Hurt, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you. I, all I got to say is Brian better watch his back because I'm telling you, you you're stalking him. And uh, you can't uh, and catch you, Brian. You can't catch Brian. You cannot catch you're, you're, Brian. You're, you're, yeah, you you're, you're better looking than him. You got a better radio voice. I think. I, I mean, I think the guy might be finished. I think you're just gonna. I think you're gonna wipe him out. Well, I don't know that I could keep him out and be able to keep my breath. The guy is like <laughs> super fit. He's, he's an it does buddy. Yeah, but I do this like one day and I'm tired. He does it like every day and still has the energy to anyway. I, I'm glad he to be here. Could, and he thanks could, for... he could teach he could teach Donald Trump how to be more energetic. <laughs> you know what? I've spent a little time with Donald Trump along the way. It is the guy is like a super freak of energy. I mean I, it, this is yeah, this is this is the thing that, that, that uh Mike Pence will never get the credit that he deserves for this. Just the fact that he's able to you got to be up at five o'clock in the morning to get the first call from him. And then you got to be up at 1230 when he rolls back into the White House to get the, the final call of the day. I don't know how anybody keeps up with that guy. Donald Trump is amazing. So, like, I was talking to, on the phone with Reince Priebus once and it was like closing in on midnight East Coast time. And I said, <laughs> I said, well, I probably should let you go because I was in Utah at the time. You know, so I had a two hour time zone change difference. And I said, I better let you go. You you probably need to get some sleep. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what time's the boss going to start, you know, pinging you? And he said, about 4 a.m. I'm going to start having to. <laughs> so, you know, Donald Trump has amazing energy. And uh, and I got to tell you, Brian Kilmeade does, too. So, yeah, um, yeah. hey, I want to touch touch bases with you on some things. And I want to start actually on a little different uh, one. And that is this idea of 
the recall effort of Gavin Newsom, because I got to tell you, there was a new infusion of another $500,000 that has gone into this recall effort. You need 1.5 million uh, signatures to get on the ballot. Um, and they've they've already supposedly got more than 800,000 signatures um, and new cash flowing into this and people fed up on both sides of the aisle. I, I, I mean, I look at that and say, this thing's got legs. This might happen. And California has a propensity of doing this. They've done it. They did it to Gray Davis. Yeah. And, and, and you never really do know with voters in California, because like you say, they, they're capable of doing just about anything. And I agree with you. I think that it is, it could absolutely be something very serious. And, uh, and, you know, people are looking at this whole COVID thing like it's behind us and and maybe it is getting behind us in terms of the actual pandemic itself. But I think a lot of people are missing the fact that in terms of politics, and I, I, I bet you sense this as well, in terms of politics, this thing is so far from being over. I think that this is going to shape our politics for a very long time. And I think that what's going to happen is a lot of these people who were so desperate to try to posture and look like they were doing something about COVID uh, and and wound up not doing anything about COVID, wound up making it worse, wound up taking away people's liberties for no good reason, even while they're flouting their own rules, all of those things. I think the backlash of that is going to last for years. I think people are going, and, 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 and it's one of those sleeper things where people, I think a lot of people don't realize it right now, but, but a lot of these people, again, nobody more so than Gavin Newsom, they're going to pay for this for a very long time because, like you say, it's not a partisan thing. It's not a Democrat-Republican thing. You talk to, to, to you know, Democrats who are trying to make a living or Democrats who just <laughs> want to live life you know, normally, and, and, and they get all of these rules that even the, the lawmakers don't believe in. You know, it's, it's suffocating. The second thing I think that is also important along these lines is the fact that Republicans have – there's, there's, there's so many parts of the country, and, and Trump is the only guy that sort of talks about this. That the Republicans have just ceded the territory, and no place have they just ceded it like they have in California. And the truth is that, okay, maybe it'll be really hard to, for a Republican to win in New York or New Jersey or California, but you still have to make the argument. You still have to fight it. You still have to and, – and, and this is one of those examples where uh, if Republicans – Put in, put in the investment, put in the time, and made the arguments for why Gavin Newsom is a horrific politician, they might actually make some headway. And, and if they don't win in some of those races, they can at least sort of, you know, move the waterline a little bit so, so maybe, you know, so that it helps Republicans – you know, running yeah. you know, in certain parts of the state. Say. Yeah, well, I do think you have to take the argument, and I think it's not just a legal one in a moral one, but I do think it is um, a whole philosophical difference between what government does. I mean, almost yeah. daily we wake up to these stories about the hypocrisy. There's one now about a, some, uh, a Democrat who is, you know, supposedly, you know, pushing to close down because of covid and then he's caught on an ice skating rink you know at the same time in, in, in new york and it, it's crazy things like that but there's this philosophical difference in their approach and I, one of the things that drive me drove me crazy about this is 
you have these big box retailers or these big chains out there that are allowed to do yeah. what they're able to do. But the little pot, the mom and pop, the one who actually lives in the community, who who goes to church and has kids on the soccer team, they're the ones selling the exact same products or services, yeah. and they're not allowed to open. And I see that primarily in Democratic-run states, and I see it in California and Minnesota and New York and New Jersey. And it didn't do anything to curb the, the COVID-19 uh, exactly. spread. I mean, that's the way I see it. And, yeah. And, and, um, and you know, you can't separate the fact that those big box retailers are also the same people who have armies of lobbyists in Washington. And again, it goes back to the thing like it's not a it's not like a partisan thing like, a, you know, a red, a red jersey or a blue jersey. It just comes down to: Do you believe in in the constitutional freedoms that 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 we believe in? And 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 Democrat voters out there believe that stuff just as strongly as Republican voters do, uh, but just because of the way all of this stuff gets covered, and and of course, obviously, the media is just uh, yeah. You know, the, yeah. They're so, and and that's baked into it, and I get that, but it's. But, you know, they're so dishonest about this stuff. Um, but I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that voters are capable of seeing through that stuff, just like with Donald Trump in 2016. Trump would have never won except that he kept yelling. He, kept, he didn't care all the things that the media said about it. He just kept going. And people got the message. And a lot of new people that hadn't ever participated in politics before got that message. And a lot of people who were Democrats got that message and said, you know what? I have been lying. I have been lied to all this time by these people. I'm going to give this other guy a shot. Yeah, no, no doubt. Now, there are a couple of big things. I want to get your very quick take because we're going to run out of time here, but I want to get your quick take on two topics. Let's start first with Georgia. Georgia is all on the line. We've been talking forever about how crucial it is. I, I lived with Nancy Pelosi in a gavel. I can't imagine Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer having a gavel. Yeah. What are you hearing and seeing in Georgia? Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of uh, – I feel like I hear a lot of um, – you know, and, and I know a lot of people that are down there working on it. And, and people are – you know, the Republicans feel pretty um, optimistic about it. But you never know in this environment. That's the thing. And, and you have to remember that. And, and, my, and I, you know, I get the frustration that Georgia voters feel. But the one thing – I mean, there are a lot of reasons to vote. And no, nothing is more important than, than what you just said about the idea of giving Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer – and a Democrat administration, there is no end to the horrors that these people could do. But another thing is, you know, if you're frustrated about what, if you're a Georgia voter, you're frustrated about what happened, nothing will send a greater message that there was shenanigans in the November election than everybody coming out and swamping the polls and, and getting Leffler and uh, Purdue over the line by 10 points. If that if 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 Georgia voters can get that done, all that does is it 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 proves the point that President Trump has been trying to make. And that is there was a lot of funny stuff that went on in Georgia. Nothing proves that point stronger than that. So I pray that however frustrated you are and I get it, however frustrated, the most important thing you can do for Donald Trump today is get out there and take 10 friends with you to the polls and vote for Leffler and Purdue. <laughs> that would, oh, that, would, that would send quite a message. No, 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 no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, Charlie, uh, real quick, is uh, Nancy Pelosi. I think it's being underreported. 
I don't think that uh, she necessarily has the votes to get to the majority. No doubt she runs that place with an iron fist and will beat people over yeah. the head. But there's too many people who have said they just won't do it. And you're going to have to flip some votes. Um, and I, I don't know how she does it, but we're going to find out on Sunday. You you would know all that so much better than anybody else. But I, I still I, I, I'm of the camp that I, I just see, have a hard time seeing how knowing how she rules with such an iron fist it's i see i have a hard time seeing how something else happens but something else would have to give somebody else you know she would have to surrender to let somebody else uh get a shot to co- coalesce all of those those um you know the, the defectors and the, and the rank and file democrats but without a doubt whatever happens um it will be interesting because uh, either this year or in two years, Nancy Pelosi is going to make history as the first speaker to ever le- lose the speakership twice. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Because I do think you're right. In 2022, there is no doubt that I think the Republicans are going to be in a prime position to take over the House of Representatives because they're going to see what uh, the craziness the Democrats want to do. And um, I, I and think it, but that- it won't happen. It won't happen if Republicans forget all of the lessons that President Trump taught us about about the about the issues that are important and about how to fight, because these people are they're so dishonest. It's it's it, yeah. it, 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 it just you know, you and I see it have been have seen it up close for a long time. So. We we know and we sort of roll our eyes when people you know when people complain about the media or whatever like that because we've seen it for so long and and we just know it's sort of baked in. But I mean, however dishonest people think it is, these people are ten times more dishonest. It's like every time they open, their it's mouth, worse than you it's think. Like yes, 10 lies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Charlie Hurd, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate your perspective you, and and wish you and your family a, a happy happy New Year. So. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, our call in line, 866-408-7669. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. My wife's on the phone with her hairdresser or a friend. She's like, really? Okay, I can't wait to see you. That's going to be great. Fantastic. What time? 12 o'clock? My wife is from Spain. Mm-hmm. And she said, blah, 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 blah. And blah, blah, blah. I don't mean to be racist when I put that accent on there, by the way. Oh, that's Alec Baldwin, and it sounded so funny. Except it's not true. It seems like it was stripped right out of a, uh, a headline or a, a, a plot in, on 30 Rock. Uh, ends up his wife's from... Well, Boston, I think it was, or something like this. And she's been playing it to the hilt. Uh, even this Today Show clip, which we're going to uh, queue up for you, all kind of fiction because, you know, it seems like it's all something that I just can't get enough of this. This is We're talking about Hilaria Baldwin, whose real name is Hillary, uh, but was going by Hilaria. How do you say Cucumber? Cucumbers. 
Yeah, this is, you know, how do you say in this country, uh, cucumber? This is a girl who who is just making it up. And we had Rachel Campos Duffy, who does have some uh, Spanish heritage in her background. And uh, she was just laughing at it, like her accents and her. And and then it's come out that nobody's ever really heard her say anything in Spanish um, out. You know, she just hasn't used it. Um, it anyway, this is a story that I think everybody's kind of smiling and giggling in part because Alec Baldwin is pretty much just a punk and, uh, but he's even using it to his advantage. And Hey, look, if you have a happy marriage and great kids, more power to you. But when you go out and try to snicker or snooker, the American people, um, it catches up with you at some point along the way. All right. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade, the number 866-408-7669. But I think we're going to take a call. and We have uh, Chuck in Las Vegas. Chuck, what's your what's your question? Uh, I had a comment about the Speaker of the House. So the way I understand it, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the Speaker of the House must be from the majority party. In fact, there's nothing in the Constitution that actually said the Speaker must be a member of the House. So if every Republican rallies around Kevin McCarthy and AOC is, uh, is successful in siphoning off enough votes from Nancy Pelosi, he could, in fact, be elected Speaker of the House. Yeah, you're, you're right. You point out a piece of the uh, Constitution, Chuck, that most people don't realize. You don't even need to be a member of Congress in order to be the Speaker. I've, I've long thought that there should be uh, much more transparency in the election of the Speaker. You know, what happens is the Republicans and Democrats, they go behind closed doors and they have a secret ballot um, that nobody gets to see. I mean, there's more more transparency, you know, with the pope, the selection of the next pope than there is the next speaker of the House for somebody who's next in line to be the president of the United States uh, after the president and the vice president. So. I, I, I got to tell you, there should be a debate. There should be a, a national discussion about this. Um, and I think each party should have to go through that process. If we did that, it would actually open up things so that, guess what? Somebody who wasn't in that body could rise to the occasion and become the next Speaker of the House. But there's lots of different ways to have this uh, this combination come to come to fruition but you know one thing that could happen is republicans could try to get some democrats but i i don't see any democrats that are willing to go say hey i know you just elected me as a democrat so therefore i'm gonna vote for a republican nor do i see some but some republicans or in mass could go and get behind some democrats a democrat could go get five or six uh or seven votes or even ten votes get all of the the Republicans, and then you'd have somebody who wasn't Nancy Pelosi. I think that's the heart. That's the ultimate line that people want to get to. But Nancy Pelosi, I'm telling you, she is twisting arms. She is cajoling people, and I don't know what she's doing behind the scenes to make deals, but watch for the people that flip because they have done something in order to get there. There's more coming up. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. We uh, have to make some adjustments here in the studio, like raising up the microphone when I stand up. The camera's cutting off my head, but, you know, I, I, I don't know, freakishly tall at 6'2", I guess, or... I'll let you come to your own conclusions, but I am uh, honored to be filling in for Brian. He's taking some much needed rest with his family, and I don't know how the guy does it because he keeps one of the most rampant schedules that there is uh, uh, in TV and radio and everything else. So glad to be filling in for him. I hope he's having a good time with his family. Um, there's a lot happening out in the world. Um, please, if you want to call in with a question, 866-408-7669. Our website is thebriankilmeadshow.com. But we're thrilled to have uh, Ben Dominich, who's the publisher of The Federalist, joining us. Uh, ben, thank you so much for being here. There's a lot to talk about, but welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be with you, though your your intro music there was not Randy Newman's uh, Short People for some reason uh, to accompany your your uh, observations on the on the nature of changes in the studio. Um, I I, I got to tell you though, I am familiar with that song. It's one of the most politically incorrect songs. I went back and listened to it recently. I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't believe that was like popular back in the day. It is really a you bad know, song. It's amazing. It's it's amazing what you can uh, what you can get away with, and and you know just to think that people now just know him as the uh, as as the guy you know who uh, tugged at your heartstrings in Pixar movies. Um, it's, it's, it's it's actually enjoyable. I'm glad you're familiar with it. Otherwise, oh, that, could yeah. have, that could have gone over your head. Though I guess that that would require a little bit of a bigger jump. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it may have gone over Brian's head, but not mine. So I got it. I got it. <laughs> Um, hey, I want to play this clip for you, Ben, because Victor Davis Hanson's one of the smartest people we know. He's from California, is with the Hoover Institute, and he was on Tucker last night. I want to play this clip and then get your reaction to it. The problem with the lockdown was the governor was caught cheating on his own lockdown at the French Laundry at Tony <laughs> Restaurant. So was the mayor of San Francisco. So was Nancy Pelosi. She went to uh, a hairdresser. Then we had the, the Lakers celebration, and we had the, the Antifa BLM, and everybody was out in the street. There was no, there was no uh, rep repercussions. So I think a lot of people said, you know what? They lost confidence in the authority, who now said, well, now you have to lock down. Well, everybody said, well, you didn't do it then. So, Ben, you know, uh, Charlie Hurt made this point uh, earlier in the show, which is, you know, we're getting relief with COVID. There's a vaccine that's going, and they're injecting people as fast as they can. But the politics of this and the repercussion, particularly for the Democrats, is going to be around for a long time. You know, I'm uh, I wish that I wasn't telling you this, uh, Jason, but I feel like we really are looking down the barrel at a much more extended lockdown than I think people might currently be anticipating. Um, there are a number of reasons for that. First, of course, is that you have the natural impetus of uh, people who are in favor of centralized power and of the, the use of it for maximum effect. And I would include Dr. Fauci, who's obviously criticized the, you know, patchwork or inconsistent, in his words, you know, response to things across the country. Uh, that's called federalism, uh, and it's something that is good for the country to be able to have these different levels of response. But 
even with this vaccine rollout, it's only going to be 95% effective. Look, it's an amazing achievement. It's phenomenal that you're doing it, but the rollout of it is going to take time, and you're not going to have uh, a natural rush, I think, on the part of a lot of blue states and blue uh, blue city mayors uh, to release people from these lockdowns. At the same time, you're going to have repeated examples, as we have seen over and over and over again, of the, the politicians you cite who actually behave according to what they truly believe, which is that they can go out and do these things, not just because they think the rules don't apply to them, they do believe that too, but also because this is a little bit of a game. It's about control, and I think it's going to be something that we see lead to you know, something that you're probably familiar with, which is the concept of Irish democracy, which is basically where a lot of people, they, they, their act of rebellion isn't going into the streets and throwing rocks or engaging in right. revolutionary activity. It's just all kind of agreeing organically to ignore the various mandates that are happening when they think that they don't make any sense. And then essentially dare the small police forces that we have across the country to enforce these things. And I think that's going to create a patchwork of reactions to what we've seen go on, just, just as we've seen you know, across the country, that is going to raise the tensions, that's going to lead to a lot of of blue politician on red politician fights, legal fights, court battles, potentially between, you know, the Biden-Harris administration and state officials and the like. And that's going to, I think, raise the political te- uh, tensions very quickly in the in the coming months. Yeah. And, you know, it really where it hits the fan oftentimes they are with these sheriffs, right? Sheriffs have these yep. local responsibilities, but they're elected. They're elected uh, people and uh, they got to listen to the voters if they want to come back into office. So I agree with you. I, I think this past patchwork that you're talking about of rebellion, you're right, won't necessarily manifest itself with people, you know, marching down the street with pitchforks and guns and lighting things on fire. Although I've seen the Democratic side of Antifa and whatnot do that. But I, I do think the it's what I call disaster liberalism, right? They take this control because it's there. And when they realize that they can increase their power with a crisis, guess what? The number of crises becomes unlimited because that's how they gain more control. And they do believe in their heart of hearts that more control, more government power, it's the same formula every time, will lead to a better outcome. But it's a suppression of liberty and of rights. And people get fed up with it at some point, don't they? Yeah, they absolutely do. And think about it. One thing that I think people can compare it to is, you know how whenever Chicago's gun issues are brought up on the national stage, right. you know, the people who are anti-gun will say, well, those handguns, they're walking in from, you know, Wisconsin. They're coming from other states, you know, that, that have lax gun laws and the like, uh, even without the proof, of course, of that being the case. Um, and and basically saying, if you just went along with us uh, and with our stringent gun laws, uh, then things would be better. And that's the kind of thing that I think we're going to see when it comes to the way that this vaccine and the virus plays out. And unfortunately, you know, I think that there were a lot of people who thought, hey, if we if we can get this amazing thing done, uh, getting a vaccine faster than we've ever seen one had for a novel virus by a measure of years, uh, right. then finally we'll be able to reopen, we'll be able to get back to some form of normalcy, and certainly by the summer everybody will be able to be okay. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see these continued lockdowns. And look, it's, it's a phenomenal achievement to get that vaccine, but then you got to distribute it. you got to get it to the right people. Uh, it, there's going to be battles over 
you know, who gets it in that hierarchy of needs thing, as we already see with Governor Cuomo, you know, talking about giving it to, to uh, you know, drug addicts and the like uh, before the, the elderly right. folks in the state. Um, and it's just one of these things that I think is going to unfortunately lead to rampantly increased uh, political tensions at the same time that our national corporate press is mostly going to be dedicated to this sycophantic idea uh, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris represent a reunification of the country, a normalcy, you know, a bringing back, back right. peace and, and love and, and, and a wonderful spring for us all. So it's, it's going to be I think it's going to be a, a much more contentious uh, couple of months here than people might expect. Yeah, it kind of is that. uh the Democrats, you know, they're all when they're in power. Hey, it's, you know, open up our fist. Our hand is out. We want to work for you, work with you. But the moment they aren't in power, guess what? It's a closed fist. It, it is the it, it is they want to beat you over the head. It is the resistance movement. Um, but you have a very interesting take. And I think you're right. I don't think that, hey, as soon as they up that now 10, 20 million uh, 40 million people have the vaccine that suddenly this magically goes away. I, I want to go real quick. We only have a couple minutes. I wasn't planning to do this. But since you brought it up about guns, you know, Joe Biden has said that he's going to have Beto O'Rourke kind of leading the charge on guns. I, this, to me, is going to be one of the five or six key things that I think the country will start fighting about more because their ideas of tampering down on second amendment rights is is just going to become untenable to so many people you know that so many people in washington are talking about this as being obama's third term i know that you're aware of how many guns were sold under the obama administration he was you know uh, somebody who led to a lot of people uh, getting them especially a lot of people for the first time and we saw that increase again during the violence of this summer uh, jen o'malley dixon who is mostly i think familiar to people now is uh, as uh, you know the, for the obscenity that she used about uh, Republicans who ran uh, the Biden campaign also ran the federal work uh, campaign for Senate in Texas and is someone who has always prioritized these kind of gun grabbing approaches. I think you're going to see them come at it in a bunch of interesting ways. Uh, and I don't use interesting as an as an endorsement of it by any means. Right, right. I think that they're going to exact a ton of corporate pressure on big businesses to really shut down access uh, on banks potentially to yeah. dry up uh, uh, offering support for, for gun manufacturers and the like. I really do think that that, along with all these culture war issues, are, are going to be real flashpoints going forward that uh, yeah. you know create a ton of division. No, I think you're right. And the best gun salesman we had the last, you know, eight years before was was uh, Barack Obama. But I think Joe Joe Biden may end up beating him out on on that uh, and selling more guns and ammunition than ever. Uh, ben, thank you so much. Uh, ben Dominich, the publisher of The Federalist. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. With only a few days left in December, we've only vaccinated a few million so far. And the pace of the vaccination program is moving now, uh, as it, if it continues to move as it is now. It's going to take years, not months, to vaccinate the American people. That, of course, was uh, Joe Biden yesterday um, giving an update from his perspective. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. The coronavirus has uh, affected all of our lives, and we're thrilled to have Dr. Mark Siegel join us. He's a Fox News medical contributor. He's also an author of the book COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Uh, Doctor, thanks so much for being here. And um, I, I want to address first uh, Joe Biden's take and criticism of Operation Warp Speed and its deployment. Well, Jason, thanks for having me. I'll point out the obvious. It didn't stop him from getting a vaccine, did it? It certainly was deployed up to his door, up to up to Joe Biden's door. But but that aside, I think I have a lot of problems with, with, with the way he's analyzing it. Everybody knows it's not going to take years to get these vaccines. So what is going on here? First of all, I'm going to tell you something you haven't heard before. I don't mind the pace because we've already vaccinated well over 2 million people in about a week and a half. So we've gone from vaccinating thousands to vaccinating millions. And when that happens, you want to watch to see how the millions do before you go to tens of millions and hundreds of millions. So the rush to to vaccinate, I completely appreciate because of the number of cases and hospitalizations and deaths we're seeing. It's huge, but it's also hugely important that we get this right. Secondly, secondly, Jason, over 11 million doses have been deployed, which means that it's up to the states to get them into people's arms with, with the help of the feds. And as you know, the military has played an enormous role here. But the slowdown or the delay from deployment to inoculation may not actually be uh, due to Operation Warp Speed, I would, I would I would hazard a hunch that in the state we're in, New York, that the uh, the, the state health department is slowing it down. So I, I I think 11 million doses deployed is pretty good. I think that they're accelerating it. I think we have new vaccines about to enter the, the picture here. I'm actually very pleased with the messenger RNA vaccines. I took the Pfizer vaccine myself last week and did pretty well with it. So yeah, we want more vaccinations to occur. Absolutely. But we've also accomplished a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. Joe Biden did take it. But uh, the, the skepticism and all these experts that said it could never be done, but what President Trump actually got done, got done. So uh, and what, four or five companies. I, I want to shift gears, though, because there is hesitation for some people of taking the vaccine. You've taken it. You put your money where your mouth is. But we had this this death yesterday. Luke Letlow, who is the congressman-elect out of uh, Louisiana, 41 years old. Um, he and his wife, sad story with two children. He was going to be sworn in as a new member of Congress uh, on Sunday. Uh, but 10 days ago, he contracted the coronavirus. And my understanding is he had some complications with his heart. And But still, he's a young man that... Uh, was a high-profile, newly elected member of Congress. What's your read of the situation? Well, first of all, I'm sure that you resonate with this from your illustrious career as a congressman for almost a decade and in your 40s. So I'm sure you can relate to the to the horror of this and the 
The, uh, but from the medical point of view, this is a wake-up call and a reminder. This is why we're vaccinating everyone, because, because the virus itself is somewhat unpredictable. And the vast majority of deaths occur in the elderly, um, but it can occasionally happen in someone without pre-existing conditions. Uh, my understanding is he didn't have any. He was getting better, but he's had this uh, – he's had the virus – for over a couple of weeks already, but again, it, it, that can happen too. And as you mentioned, Jason, it, it, it affected his heart. And we learned months ago that COVID-19, that the SARS-CoV-2 virus affects not just the lungs, but the heart and sometimes the kidney and the brain as well. So we do see it occasionally affecting the heart. Did he have a pre-existing tendency to heart disease? We don't know. I'll tell you one thing that Francis Collins told me, the head of the NIH, that stuck in my mind, which is that everyone has a different response to this virus. Some people respond more aggressively to the virus. Other people get that infl inflammation that the problem is. And it's not entirely predictable. He clearly had some inflammation going on in his heart as a result. He got remdesivir. He got dexamethasone, which we found to be pretty effective in, when people get pretty sick from this. Yeah, so, it's a sad story. Doctor, I, I want to get your read, though, real quickly, because Calif or in Colorado, health officials have confirmed the first U.S. case of a highly infectious version of COVID that came, may have come in from the United Kingdom. What's your read of that situation? Well, Jason, that one I think we're overhyping. I think that everyone's afraid of the word mutation, but they should realize that viruses mutate all the time on a regular basis. They spin off new strains. Pandemic viruses, especially this kind of a virus, does it. Um, and it, it tends to, to do it in the direction of making it more transmissible because that has a survival advantage if it's more transmissible. But no evidence whatsoever that it's more deadly. Absolutely no evidence that the vaccines don't cover it. They do cover it. And the real important important thing here to know is in the 17 countries that this particular strain has gone to from UK none of them have had sustained spread all of them have been linked to the actual travel to UK so i'm going to say that it may not in fact end up being a predominant strain that's what we look for uh, we that's look for good. okay it's more transmissible but is it going to is it going to dead end and it, and it very well, well might not uh, be something we're talking about a month from now. Dr. Mark Siegel, we appreciate it. Happy New Year to you and your family. Thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. I'm having a lot of fun here. I filled in for three hours on Fox and Friends. Now we're doing the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we want to take your calls, but I'm going to talk first to a good friend of mine. He's a Fox News contributor now. He's a former congressman out of Wisconsin. The one, the only Sean Duffy, Mr. Duffy, Congressman Duffy. Sean, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jason, it's great to be with you. You may be the hardest working man at Fox now, doing three hours of TV in the morning and now the Kill Me show on radio. That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, when they say hardest working and then you put in three hours and I walk down the street and I watch these guys working on building a hotel here in downtown New York or or out, you know, in Utah or whatever, and I think, yeah, I don't work that hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's warm for you, too, especially where I'm in Wisconsin, and it's snow-covered. So, uh, yeah, All right, now, you, probably not as tough as you, being you, outside. Now, you, you're 
you're from Wisconsin. Uh, we got two affiliates uh, uh, playing the Brian Kilmeade show. W-O-G-O, want to give a shout out to them, and W-O-S-H. Um, you're the best ambassador I know for Wisconsin. You're also we're kind of notorious. I don't know notorious isn't the right word. You are, you are famous for being a, like a lumberjack kind of guy. You know me. If you brought me out there, how long would it take you to get me <laughs> so I could actually like seriously chop trees and then scurry up the telephone pole and chop the top off of it? Well, first off, uh, you left the Congress before I did. I just left about a year ago, and I think I tried to get you to come to Wisconsin with me, and you declined. Uh, but maybe we can still get you in the summer to come on out. So, yeah, no, I think you'd be great, Jason. The the, the fine specimen of athletic ability that you are, you'd be awesome. So let just for your, the listeners, Lumberjack Sports, think of ESPN 6 at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> Chopping, sawing, log rolling, tree climbing, all the skills of the old-time Lumberjack. And uh, it might not be the biggest thing around the country, but in Wisconsin, our whole history is based on the whole logging industry. So it's still alive and well here with these old times. So do you get like Rachel? Do you get like Rachel and the kids? You got nine kids, right? You get all those kids out there and decide to go log rolling. Is that what you're doing? So my kids uh, all log roll. Uh, I at our, we have a cabin in northern Wisconsin, so we have a couple logs at the cabin. So they can, when the when the wind's not blowing too hard, because the water has to be calm for log rolling, we'll put the log in and they'll go out and roll. Um, Rachel so far has not taken it up. She uh, she had she was actually in a bad car crash when oh. she was in her like about twenty five, and her, her ankle doesn't move very well because of the crash. So so she can't really be on the log. Um, or I would have her out there. No, well, fair enough. Now, log rolling is also a term in Congress. It's um, a little different for those of you at home. Log rolling is basically when you take a bill, and uh, you better get out of the way because that that log's rolling down the hill, and they're going to attach as many pieces of garbage to that bill as they possibly can in order to get it done. Um, From your perspective, the mess, and I know you don't miss it. People say, how do you miss Congress? Right now, I don't miss it, not at all. What, but what do you see happening in D.C. with Pelosi and all these other shenanigans happening? You and I saw this, you know, firsthand, and it's so frustrating when you know you work really hard to pass legislation and build bipartisanship and and get a, a bill from the House to the Senate to the President's signature. It's a really challenging endeavor. But what leadership or committee chairmen love is when they have a must-pass bill. It's don't let any emergency go to waste. And this is what's so frustrating for the American people. And so at the end of this year, they had the coronavirus bill that was passed. They're running, out, they're running out of time. Nancy Pelosi held it up in September and October because she didn't want Donald Trump to get credit. And so when this bill was a must-pass bill, everybody uh, who is at the table or near the table of the negotiation, they open up their file cabinets and they throw in every piece of legislation that's a priority to them, Right. And so a lot of the coverage that that you've done on Fox is a lot of the frustration we have with a lot of the left-wing things that got into the bill that would never pass on their own. So, right, gender studies in Pakistan aid money, $100 million for cars for foreign HIV aid workers, Um, a lot – I mean, museums, new museums and refunding the the Kennedy Center, a lot of money that doesn't do anything – to reduce the impact of the of the coronavirus pandemic on the American people. And lo and behold, it finds its way into a package that's must pass. And again, it's, it's a sign of a broken Congress. And I think I heard you mention this, Jason, and I, I perked up because I think you're right. Uh, 
This will happen in America and in the Congress as long as the voters allow it to happen. If we get voters to say, listen, we're not going to tolerate these massive bills that nobody reads with this garbage in it that would never pass on it uh, on its own. We're going to say no to it. And if you don't vote, no, we're going to vote you out. You would see a really quick shift in the way members analyze packages like this. And by the way, leadership, we know this, and I, and I love Kevin McCarthy and the Republican leadership. They only say yes to it because uh, the ranking member uh, members of Congress say yes to allowing a massive bill like that pass. Yeah, this is, I think it was in the 19, I'm going to get the date wrong. I better not throw it out there, but there was a budget act. The last budget act to happen set the parameters of how we do budgets. You're supposed to do a budget and then there are the 12 appropriations bills that come in behind it. But what Nancy Pelosi has always done, oftentimes not even pretending to do a budget, what she does is she just waits and she waits till the week of Christmas, and then she puts everything in there, loads it up with all this lard, and says yes or no. And and right. and, and all that good hard work, you just look at yourself and say, I just spent a year in Congress, in committees, in hearings, having, working with the Appropriations Committee, working with Ways and Means, and, and then only to find out that they don't really care. They're going to be a few staffers out there working with leadership, and they're going to put it in there. And these poor people, this last time, had less than seven hours to read a 5,500-page bill and said yes or no. And that burns, I think, so many Americans. They're so frustrated by that. And you mentioned staffers. And listen, any good member of Congress needs to have a good staff around them. But a lot of this, as you mentioned, gets outsourced to staff. And so the power of staffing on the Hill and especially in a leadership office yeah. is almost more powerful than a member of Congress. And, and that is a, that's a huge mistake. And I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this, Jason. I when when I when we took over the House in 2010, I was part of that Tea Party wave of we had 87 members of Congress that won. Uh, I introduced I, I took over from the uh, the Appropriations Chair, who was a Democrat. I introduced a piece of legislation that would ban earmarks, and I think that's great. And I was proud of banning earmarks. Now, after you know 10 years on, I do see one of the problems with not having earmarks: the money still gets spent. The problem, though, is all the money goes to the administration, and non-elected bureaucrats in the administration decide how money is spent instead of members of Congress. And the money still—I mean, I mean, we spend way too much. Yeah. We're twenty-seven trillion dollars in debt. I would prefer to see members of Congress spend the money rather than what very well may be the Biden administration and these left wingers spending the money. And I think there has to be a second look at what power do members have and. How do we how do we have a better transparent process on what's getting into these massive bills that affect our lives and affect the future of our kids? They got to pay this back. Yeah, and I think uh, pats on the back to those people that are willing to stand up and say, "No, I'm just not going to vote for that." You may get mad because we're going to shut down the government, but if we don't fix the process, that's why we're going to end up twenty eight, twenty nine trillion dollars in debt. Uh, Sean, I want to get your your quick read though on Nancy Pelosi because she's got the vote of her life coming up. Uh, on Sunday, uh, I, Kevin McCarthy put out a tweet, I thought it was fascinating, saying that 10 of the people that are coming back to Congress didn't vote for her last time. Plus, you have a few new members who said they would not vote for Nancy Pelosi. I don't know how she gets to the 218 members that she needs and what would happen if she doesn't get to that number. Yeah, so there's a couple of new squad members that uh, have not been willing to commit to vote for her. 
And of those 10, uh, I think there's 15 members who voted no in the last Congress. Ten of them are coming back. Of those 10, many of them come from very moderate seats where Nancy Pelosi is not very popular. So I think of one of them as Connor Lamb, who's in the suburbs of, of Pittsburgh. He, I mean, this is a this is a Republican-leaning seat that he's won for the last several races. Nancy's not popular there, and he sells himself as a moderate. How does he go to the House floor? And you and I both know this, and if you watch C-SPAN on swearing in day and that's the election of the speaker day people have to stand up and say their name in the house chamber of who they want to be speaker you can't hide you stand up and you say the name and 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 it's connor lamb and those nine other members that are that are from moderate seats going to vote for nancy pelosi not only that jason with the coronavirus and i hope i'm not gonna i think it was the 1976 budget act by 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 the way adam i didn't research that i think that was correct. yeah i think you're right i think you're right but we also have um, uh, members of, of Congress in this term because of the Coronavirus Act that were allowed to vote by proxy, which for you and I, that's foreign. You, to vote, you should be on the floor, we believe. But they were able to do that by signing a, a, a petition to the clerk of the House saying they, because of the coronavirus, they were unable to come to Washington, D.C., so they gave their vote by proxy to somebody else. Well, the, the rules of, the, of this Congress go away at noon on Sunday when the next Congress starts, and so no one can appear by proxy. But I wonder, those, those members who didn't show up to vote for the last six months that said they were, they were indisposed because of the coronavirus, how do they all of, a, all of a sudden show up on Sunday and say, oh, no longer, I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I, yeah. I can make it now to Washington, D.C.? And not only that, some members— you know, if they have COVID or have the symptoms of COVID, can't go to the House floor. And if there's Democrats who have that problem, you could have Nancy Pelosi that loses 10 or 12 votes. And crazy enough, you could see Kevin Kevin McCarthy, the the, the the minority leader, the Republican leader, could actually be the Speaker of the House. This could be really interesting. Well, the other thing that they did, Sean, is they got rid of Nancy Pelosi last time, got rid of the call of the chair, which is what Mark Meadows deployed uh, on John Boehner by saying, hey, in the middle of the term, let's now have another vote. Nancy Pelosi got rid of that. And so if you continue with that same rules package, once a person's put in as speaker, guess what? You can't take them out for two years. And so things well, could be I, could get really interesting. So you're right. Really interesting. Now, I guarantee you that because they have the Democrats have a majority of the members, I'm sure she would change that rule right away. And Kevin McCarthy may be the shortest serving (laughs) speaker in the history of the U.S. Congress. But it would be fun and interesting all the same to watch that play out. No, this is the craziness that is Washington, D.C. Sean, I want to thank you for your your service in the Congress. You know, you got a big, beautiful family and my family's not as big, but um, I got to tell you, I think the hardest thing the members do is just being away from their family so much of the time. But those uh, that do get out and do that, I appreciate it. And uh, you're a great member and uh, so glad you're part of the Fox News uh, team. Well, it's great to be with you today, Jason. And and as you said, it was great to serve with you in Congress. And now to join you at Fox has been fantastic for me. And one last thought, as everyone is going through this holiday season, you and I know this well, their spouses are at home going, when are you coming home? Yeah. Well, are you going to be gone for New Year's? Are you going to be voting this weekend? And they get a lot of pressure from their families because they're going a lot to be home for the holidays. So, uh, listen, thanks for having me on, Jason, and great job on Fox & Friends. Well, thank you. Uh, happy New Year to you and yours, and uh, thanks for joining us. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. 
There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And it all comes back to the fact that, that Google and Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Twitter are, are monopolies. And they, they enjoy monopoly status. They crush their opposition. And they are protected now by the Biden administration. And it's very concerning because they control the flow of information in this country. Uh, and right. perfect case in point is the New York, New York Post article about Hunter Biden that uh, right. was uh, what suppressed um, so that it would not affect the election. And when the truth is suppressed, uh, this country uh, really should be concerned about the monopolies that, that we're dealing with. That's Ken Buck, congressman from Colorado, former prosecutor, somebody I served with on the House Judiciary Committee. I'm uh, Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, and he's talking about big tech companies, in his opinion, are monopolies. Um, and there's a deep concern about the power of these companies uh, and their ability to curtail the flow of information to fit their personal political agenda. Now, with the burgeoning Internet, what happened was there was this Section 230 that was put in. It basically limited liability. They argued at the time that they were a platform, and the idea was that they should not be held liable for anything that is posted up on there. So they got this blanket almost immunity, if you will, from lawsuits about the content which might be on their platform. So if you're a newspaper and you engage maliciously in some sort of libel, people can sue you. But if you're a Facebook or a Twitter or whatever it might be, a social media platform, and somebody posts something up there, you can't go and sue that individual company. Now, there are some exceptions dealing with child pornography and other ting- things like that. But when they get into these ideas of political free speech and First Amendment issues, uh, they play by a different set of rules as everybody else. So the president has highlighted this as something that really needs to be addressed. And I think the president is right. What you see Mitch McConnell doing over in the Senate is trying to say in our limited time, trying to deal with the COVID relief, is also be able to address some of these other burgeoning issues like the election integrity, forming a study group to go out and research what happened in that. Somehow Chuck Schumer thinks that's so atrocious that it's a, quote, poison pill. I I don't know how studying the last election is some sort of poison pill. But he also doesn't want to, this is Chuck Schumer, doesn't want to address Section 230. And I think there is this deep-seated worry and concern that if the president and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans don't get this in place and moving forward now, that they will have zero opportunity under a, a Biden administration. Because all those balls bounce in the direction of the Democrats. That's the way the Democrats have it. That's why they like it. Why should they change it? So it really comes down to the ability to pass this now, but it also comes down to Georgia with so much on the line in Georgia. Cut 12. 
Georgia matters to the entire country, not just to our state, because you're either going to get David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, who actually can tell you a conservative band in the United States Senate, or we're going to get two radical liberals who are not connected to the moorings in, in Georgia or any values that we can see across our state. We've got a referendum on America on the ballot in Georgia, and if Republicans and, and, and our candidates are smart, and they are, they're going to make this a referendum on those two choices. This is going to be a, a, a full-blown you know, UFC fight on the ground. This is a mechanical game. This is where both parties, I used to say all the time to candidates when I was chairing the party, if you get me within a field goal, we will win the game. Now it's Wrights Priebus, the former chairman of the Republican Party and Congressman Doug Collins from Georgia. So much on the line in Georgia. Do you give Chuck Schumer that gavel or not? I hope every person gets out and votes. Uh, because I think Republicans will do quite well when everybody votes in Georgia. I think it's a conservative-leaning state, and I uh, hope everybody participates because everything in this country will come down to whether or not the United States Senate is in the hands of Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell. It's a big choice, but I hope Georgia does the right, right thing. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay with us. There's more to come. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade, and we're going to shift gears uh, slightly here to a very important topic because the rhetoric regarding uh, and surrounding Iran and the tensions with the United States seems to be escalating at a level I haven't seen in in a little while. Uh, Joining us now is uh, Lucas Tomlinson. He is uh, covering the Pentagon for Fox News. Uh, Lucas, I want to get your latest take on what's happening here because Not only have I seen the rhetorical upticks, but there is these B-52s that evidently uh, left from North Dakota and flew a mission uh, recently over Iran or near Iran. Explain that to us. What's happening? Well, Jason, it's great to join you this morning, and uh, Happy New Year and Merry Christmas belated. Um, That's right. Uh, A pair of uh, American B-52 bombers flew from Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota over 30 hours on a nonstop round-trip mission to the Middle East. They flew in the Persian Gulf, uh, you know, off the coast of Iran in international airspace and international waters, of course. But the mission was uh, to send a message to Iran and to deter them from attacking any more Americans. Uh, If you recall, just a week ago, 21 rockets slammed or launched at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. About nine of them uh, slammed into the embassy compound. Fortunately, no Americans were hurt. But uh, President Trump took to Twitter to warn Iran. First of all, he blamed them for the attacks. Uh, Iran, of course, supports a lot of proxy forces in Iraq and, and is right next door. And the president said if any Americans are killed in future attacks, he will not hesitate to retaliate. And the military has been uh, you know, putting the muscle behind those words uh, in the last few days, sending a 
number of assets to the region. Uh, just a week ago, uh, the guided missile submarine USS Georgia, in a very uh, public display on the surface, transited the volatile Strait of Hormuz right off the coast of Iran. Georgia, Jason, carries over 150 Tomahawk cruise missiles. There's also a dry deck shelter for a detachment of Navy SEALs to conduct potential sabotage operations. You also uh, had a couple, pair of cruisers, guided missile cruisers, escorting Georgia, the Philippine Sea, and Port Royal. You also have the guided missile destroyer uh, USS John Ball Jones patrolling in the Persian Gulf. So a lot of firepower is massing. Uh, in fact, an F-16 squadron from Germany recently deployed to Al-Dafra Air Base in the United Arab Emirates. Um, and now, yesterday, I was fortunate enough with just two other reporters to join a very senior U.S. military official who described the threat. I uh, didn't want to be identified to discuss the sensitivity of the latest intelligence. But, Jason, there are a lot of warnings, a lot of, uh, you know, alarms, a lot of uh, red lights flashing right now in the Middle East. Now, yes, we've seen this before, if that's what you're wondering, but this official is pretty frank with us and said that they're seeing a, a lot of conventional weaponry of all different types flowing into Iraq. Of course, we still have 2,500 troops there um, and also a sprawling diplomatic compound in, in Baghdad. Uh, but this is all coming as the anniversary of President Trump ordering the assassination of Iran's most powerful general looms. If you remember, in, or in fact, I remember joining you, Jason, on yeah. the phone. I did yeah. a phone or you were subbing for Sean Hannity. I was actually off uh, enjoying a few pops with my kids and, and, and uh, some friends. And all of a sudden we got the word that Soleimani had been killed in, in Baghdad after he and uh, the head of uh, Iran's militias inside Iraq, where we had just flown into Baghdad. And, you know, of course, Soleimani had a lot of American blood on his hands, responsible for killing hundreds of our troops during the Iraq war. And if you remember, about a year ago this time, there were some protests brewing. And then on New Year's Eve, so just about a year ago, in a few days, that mob that attacked the U.S. Embassy, and of course, you others who have been in, the, you know, in Congress, nobody wanted to see a return of, of Benghazi or any of our diplomats harmed. Well, what happened? The U.S. Marines boarded the Ospreys flew from Kuwait into the embassy compound. No Americans were harmed. The Marines, you know, locked it down, you know, rappelled down full assault load, uh, came off those op Ospreys to bolster security. So things were okay then, but of course, then Soleimani was killed on January 3rd. And if you remember the retaliation from Iran, they launched those ballistic missiles uh, and, and later in, in uh, early January. Fortunately, no Americans were seriously harmed then, but here we are today with that anniversary looming, Jason, and here's the military saying, Iran, we see you. We know what you're doing. Stop it. There are messages being transmitted, not just publicly through the press, like the backgrounder I just described, but also privately through intermediaries, I'm told, inside Iraq. You know, of course, Iran is very tight with many officials in Baghdad. And the U.S. military and the U.S. government knows that if you talk to certain officials in Iraq, that message is going to get back to Iran. And the message is very clear. As the president said, if any Americans are harmed, there's going to be a serious retaliation. Yeah, Lucas, you're doing some great reporting on this. And I do remember this January 3rd of last uh, this year. Um, and uh, I, I think that anniversary means a lot to a, a regime like Iran. I think that concern 
uh, should certainly be escalated because of the January 3rd. Now, do we have a carrier group in the area? Or oftentimes, I, I was able to be on the USS Eisenhower at one point uh, that was there off the coast of Iran. Uh, we have a lot of firepower, more than overwhelming force if we choose to use it. But I think we're brushing Iran back to say, don't you dare do this because President Trump would not be bashful in, in unleashing the military to to uh, to do what he needs to do to protect America. No question. In fact, you're right, Jason. The USS Nimitz is in the Indian Ocean right now, actually off the coast of Somalia. But this general we spoke to yesterday uh, said that if anything were to go down, Nimitz could steam north, uh, obviously at 30-plus knots, and be in a position to launch uh, some of her dozens of F-18 Super Hornets uh, in no time. Of course, they fire IR-guided Mavericks and drop uh, you know, laser-guided bombs and you know, fire standoff weapons as well. And I, I mentioned the, the Air Force sending not just the bombers. That was, the, believe it or not, the third bomber flight from the United States, around the world, and back nonstop refueling multiple times. Think about that. You know, most countries cannot do that. In fact, no other country can do that kind of mission to fly halfway across the world and back without stopping, you know, essentially an air bridge, you know, hitting gas stations at, you know, 30,000 feet all over the world to make sure these bombers can go there and back without incident. And, of course, these were conventional bombers yesterday, but, of course, some of these bombers are capable of carrying uh, nuclear weapons. It's certainly a power message to Iran. But yeah, Nimitz, the strike group isn't in the area, so there's even more warships that carry Tomahawk cruise missiles. Last I checked, there's at least 300 Tomahawk cruise missiles within range of Iran right now. So you can imagine if, if any Americans were harmed, the response would be pretty massive. You know, Bandrabas, which is uh, Iran's equivalent of Norfolk, that certainly be targeted. And, um, the, you know, the military, the U.S. military wants Iran to know, don't do it. And they're hoping they get the message. Yeah, they, our ability as the United States uh, of America to pound on somebody in perpetuity without, you know, our ability logistically to replenish, uh, whether it's aircraft in the air or our, our cruise missiles, our destroyers, nobody else can do that. The Chinese have tried to do it. The Russians have tried to do it. They can't do it. We, our United States military is able to do some amazing things. Nobody wants it to 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 come to that. But that's also why you have the biggest, baddest military on the face of the planet, because you do need to brush people back every once in a while. And Iran, it's interesting to see where they're going to go. If they perceive, you know, when they had Biden and Obama, they were being handed hundreds, you know, $150 billion. Um, I really do wish, and I know you can't comment on this, but I do wish that there is a a debate on foreign policy because there's probably the greatest amount of difference between a Donald Trump and Joe Biden on foreign policy. And Donald Trump has kept us safe and secure. Um, Last question for you. Uh, What are the keys? I mean, a lot of these things happen covertly. They happen with SEAL teams. They happen with, you know, below the radar. They happen with uh, submarines and things that we don't necessarily, you know, can see on the surface. But what are things that we should watch for as we turn the, to the new year and the actual anniversary itself? 
Well, that's a really good point, Jason. In fact, I was going to mention that everything you mentioned about the U.S. military, 100% spot on. Countries like Iran, China, Russia realize they can't take us on conventionally, but especially with Iran, you know, they love to lurk just below the surface in like that gray zone. Right. That's one of the things that the general talked about uh, on this in this meeting. You know, they've supported these proxy forces, as you know, for years inside Iraq. Unfortunately, they launched massive attacks against our, our soldiers during the Iraq War and killed hundreds. Hundreds of them. Look in the last few years at, at, at Iran's MO. You know the attack on the Saudi Aramco processing facility. You know cruise missiles, quadcopters. You know drones. Different stuff was launched that, that frankly we hadn't seen before. And it was very concerning. Tankers have been blowing up mysteriously. You know in recent months, all have the hallmarks of Iran. But it's just under the surface. Iran can claim deniability. And don't forget last month when Iran's top nuclear scientist was gunned down. You know top Iranian officials blamed Israel for that. It came up on the call yesterday with the senior military official, and he's a little concerned that the U.S. could get caught in the middle of any kind of retaliation against Israel, because, of course, we're you know at the hip and, and, and are one of our, our closest allies, not just in the world, but especially in, in the Middle East. Um, but certainly that's one of the big things to look at, Jason, if you're looking at where can Iran potentially strike where they can stay deniable and potentially offset retaliation. But you mentioned Joe Biden coming in, and let's face it, officials I've spoken to know that the Biden administration wants to have a, a bit of a rapprochement with, with Iran, and officials in Tehran do have to weigh this calculation. What does revenge mean to them? Because, of course, the military has been very public. The president has been very public about what the response would be. And if you're Iran, do you want to attack, face a, a huge retaliation? How does that repair things with an incoming administration? And, uh, of course, the officials in Tehran, they read the papers. They, read, they hear what the Biden administration is saying about potentially repairing their uh, relationship, and there's officials in Tehran that think that could potentially be a return of some easing of sanctions and potentially billions more in the coffers. Well, Lucas, you do some of the best reporting out there on this and do appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, have a wonderful Happy New Year. Really do appreciate thank it. Thank you so much, Congressman. Great to join you, and Happy New Year to our listeners. Oh, thank you, Luke. Lucas, Tom, Lucas Tomlinson. Uh, uh, joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's more of the show coming up. Stay tuned with us. Disagree with Brian? Call now and tell him why. Can somebody attack me, please? 866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Madam Speaker, do you plan to seat Ms. Miller-Meeks on Sunday, and are you confident that you're going to have a done majority present? Yes, and yes. <laughs> wow, that's uh, Nancy Pelosi surprising a lot of us who've been watching this. Uh, the congresswoman-elect out of Iowa was just uh, literally like less than 12 votes ahead in the last count. Um, and there are a lot of us that thought she'd wait till after the speaker's vote in order to seat Ms. Miller-Meeks. Uh, from Iowa, but if she's going to seat her, I mean, she's on the record saying she will. So that that'll be interesting, and in, in the the ways of Washington and this critical speaker vote that's coming up on Sunday. We said we were going to take some calls, so let's go to Steve in Wichita Falls, Texas. Steve, what's uh, what's on your mind? Oh, I am. Yeah. Steve, I know you've been waiting a while. I I know you've been waiting a while, and thanks for bearing with us, but. I, what's your question or comment? Uh, two. One, I keep uh, hearing everybody concerned about 
staffing and having the personnel that when we roll out the COVID vaccines for the general population, that they're not going to have the manpower. Well, why cannot we use the uh, ex-military members? Uh, I mean, according to federal, the you know, United States code, uh, military members can be recalled to active duty up to age 64. No, that's a great. I mean, and, I hope they're doing that because you're right. There are a lot of good, talented people who've had the trust of the country in the past. And there's no reason why we can't use an able-bodied person who's already gone through that rigor of the military. And I, I agree with you. I don't, I, that's a good, good, good observation. Give shots, you know, every day, pretty much. And when they were in on active duty and let's face it, uh, to give an injection, you could probably teach a chimpanzee to do it <laughs> it's not i'll difficult. let you go ahead and do that there steve i'm gonna go ahead and like uh, have a nurse or a doctor but uh at least help <laughs> yeah, with the too. distribution the other thing i was going to bring up uh, everybody's wringing their hands about you know trump's running out of options running out of options and and you congressman uh have been there done that you've been in there for a long time and you know pretty much everything about the laws and the, and, and the constitutional laws and things. And I've, I've heard you speak before, and you're very well-versed in constitutional law. Um, I think a lot of people are forgetting that we still have uh, 10 USC Section 252 that he could pull the trigger on if he has to. And that would force uh, a uh, the ability for them to confiscate or seize documents, databases, and then open up a full-blown investigation utilizing the military and anyone he trusts within the military to look into those things that are in question. Yeah, Steve, you bring up an interesting point. You'd have to be very careful with that. I'd have to refer to the Department of Justice to get a a further clarification on that. You were very kind to complimenting me about my constitutional studies but that particular code i just i'd have to look it up and uh but you do bring off a, a, an interesting point um steve thank you merry christmas to you and uh, happy new year and uh thanks for joining us on the kill me joe appreciate it all right let's go to ryan who's in uh, pearl river new york ryan what are you thinking about all right jason and um everybody uh, good morning america and good afternoon america you got to realize, folks, the, the, one of the ultimate scams there is when they can bribe you with your own money. And we had a situation now. The country's been crushed. The middle class crushed because of this virus. And to me, I was living in New York City at the time with the 9-11 attack and now with the COVID, the Chinese communists sending this thing over this plague. This is an endless murder scene. That's what I, the way I look at it. I look at it re, real, realistically. And the thing with... Trump got bad advice back in July. He should have extended those unemployment benefits to the American people because the people out there hurting. If you're doing good, great. But there are people who have been crushed by this. Small businesses have been crushed. I've witnessed this. You try to help people. How much can you really do? I mean, I had a line there, you know, the real wealthy. Why don't you break open the saddlebags? And, and the situation is so bad. People are, are really down and down and out because of this. But this is the ultimate thing here now. We're looking at a country where we saw riots, right? People t- – Rioters and pillagers are able to change our laws or defund the police, do all this. We live in a third world country now. And when you have a third world country, remember what's going to happen. They're going to be in control of our nukes and the money printing press. And but let me just give you what my credentials are. Well, hold, hold was, on, Ryan, 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 I, I got it. I'm trying to get to this last. <laughs> you're the last caller. I'm trying to get to it because we have a hard break in the out. Um, 
I do feel for people who, through no fault of their own, are living through a very, very difficult situation. I do wish, and this is what you hear a lot of the uh, Republican senators talking about, is that the benefits or the relief, if you will, the supplementation for people keeping their own money should be targeted at those that really do need it. And um, the, the, the sending it out in mass, there are some that are just really concerned that we got to make sure that the people who really need it, the people like in the restaurant industry, the airline industry, or, you know, their small businesses were closed up. Those are the people that really need our relief and they need our support. We do appreciate you listening and participating with us uh, on the show. I wish I had more time. I had a lot of fun. Thanks to Brian Kilmeade. I hope he's off enjoying the holidays with his family. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and it's been a lot of fun joining you here today on The Kilmeade Show. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.